Good evening, everybody. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be. I'm going to start in a different place, but I'm going to get there um, eventually. So if you're already there, then, then you're there with me eventually. Um, it is good to see you. For, well, for some that may not have been here last Sunday, this is the first time I'm seeing you for in 2022 because I just won my freedom on Thursday at midnight. So uh, for many of you, you might not have realized, but COVID went through my entire family. So for the last 10 days, we've been sequestered in our home. So it's nice to be out and about. And so uh, we're thankful for God bringing us through that. And we know that there's a bunch of people in our church that are facing the same thing. So, you know, we're starting off 2022 with a bang. And so uh, it, it, it's, it's interesting um, what we're going through in these days. And... Um, in light of that, it's what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks, actually, in our uh, reboot uh, series that we're going to be looking at. And so I'm going to encourage you uh, to be thinking along those lines uh, as we get into God's Word tonight. But let's start in a word of prayer, and then, um, then we'll go from there. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time of prayer that we've had. We thank you for Pastor Andy leading us through that prayer time, and I think about just the first question that he had asked us as we were praying, what, what is it that we're willing to yield to you um, as we focus on this new year? What are there some, what areas in, in our lives do we need to yield over to you, God? May we really think through uh, the God that we serve, uh, what you're calling us to, God, I pray that this year would be a year where we would draw closer to you more than ever before. That we would see you, God, work in and through this church in ways that we cannot fathom and we could never explain in and of ourselves aside from just giving all the credit to you. God, we don't know what this year holds. But we thank you for the fact that you do. And so, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a genuine trust and reliance on you as we face the unknown and as we face that together. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, we've already started talking. Pastor Josh actually helped um, really begin this challenge last week as uh, we are facing a brand new year together. And as you think about 2022, maybe um, you've already begun some kind of self-evaluation or reflection on the previous year. Maybe there's things that you hope for in this particular year. Some people do the the New Year's resolution thing, or maybe you guys have set new goals for yourself for 2022. Hey, this year I would like to do this, or I'd like to see this happen, or this is what I'm going to strive towards. Maybe you're deci you've decided that for 2022 you're going to actually achieve the goals that you set for 2021 that you never got around to doing, or you just were incapable of, or you just couldn't be bothered, or whatever. Maybe uh, for some of us, we would rather forget the last year or two or two and a half or whatever. But my encouragement is this, that as we look at 2022, that we would basically take on the challenge that we're going to be uh, looking at in our series, which is to reboot. Maybe for 2022 that we take a step back and we say, okay, 
where am I at in my relationship with the Lord? Where am I at in my, in my walk with God? Where am I at in my thinking um, about the world around me, about my life, about um, how I engage the people that I work with every day or live with every day? And am I doing that in a way that, that, that God is calling me to do? Am I doing it in a biblical way? God's really been challenging me lately personally about the idea of having a biblical worldview. What actually is a biblical worldview? That as a Christian, am I really engaging the rest of the world, my world around me, from a biblical perspective, or am, am I kind of sequestering my Christianness, my Christianity to the times when I'm in this building? So when I'm here for life group time, this is my, the, the, the Christian time of my life. When I'm here for worship on Saturday night or Sunday, this is my Christian time. When I'm involved in youth ministry or ladies ministry or whatever ministry I'm in, am I just, is that the time that I'm reg, relegating to, to Christ and to God and to a biblical worldview? Or am I in the way that I deal with my family, in the way that I have conversations with people, in my neighborhood, in the way that I think about what is happening in the world around me, am I really thinking about it from a biblical perspective or not? Am I, am I a Christian in every area of my life or am I a Christian in only certain areas of my life? Because our culture would really want to try to emphasize the fact that there is a distinction between the sacred and the secular. That at certain times it's sacred Time. So, you know, when I sit down and do my quiet time in the, in the morning, that's my sacred time. But then when I'm off to my job, it's, that's the secular time of my life. That when I sit down and watch some television, that's the secular time. But when I come to church, it's the sacred time. And yet, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't teach that at all. That there isn't a time for the secular and a time for the sacred. And so, I want us to consider for the next few weeks these three questions. Now, these three questions will kind of morph into how we engage them maybe in a couple sessions for each of them. So, it's not just three weeks that we're going to inquire of these questions. But I want us to consider these three questions over the next few weeks. Question number one is, whom do I serve? As I look at 2022, who is it that I serve? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve me? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve my family? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve my boss? Who is it that I'm going to serve? Am I, am, am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve God? Number two, if the answer is God, and, and I'll give you a hint, the answer is God. We'll get into that tonight. The right answer is I'm going to serve God then I need to ask myself the question, question number two, how does God speak to me then? If I'm going to serve God, how do I know what God wants me to do? And if, if he's going to communicate with me a certain way, then how do I engage in the way that he communicates with me? How responsive am I going to be? And then that's the last question that we're going to consider over the next several weeks, and that's how do I respond to God? What does my response to God look like? When I come to that realization that God is the God that I'm going to serve, he's the only one that I'm going to serve, he's the one that first and foremost is going to run and rule my life, 
and how I know that he's communicating with me, how am I going to respond to that as he communicates with me? And so those are the three questions that we're going to kind of look at over the next few weeks. I want to engage in the first question tonight, and that is, who, who do I serve? Whom do I serve? Am I going to serve God? Am I going to serve me? Am I going to serve God? Am I going to serve somebody else? So I'm encouraging you to look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read a couple passages first and foremost. Um, I just want to draw your attention to an event that maybe uh, many of us remember. Uh, maybe some of us are unfamiliar with it. But in uh, Exodus chapter 3, we have... An instance where Moses is out in the wilderness and he comes across Mount Horeb, which is actually described as the mountain of God. And as he's on this mountain, he encounters a burning bush, a bush that is on fire, but yet it's not being consumed by the flames. Now, we, you know, we've talked about the burning bush or maybe you've heard the phrase, hey, I've had a burning bush experience or, you know, you've watched the, 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 the Prince of Egypt animated movie about a hundred years ago and you saw that animated and, you know, it took 10 years to make that movie and it took nine years for them to find a Bible in Hollywood. I heard that one time. I thought that was probably actually quite accurate, but, you know, we, we've probably seen it depicted somewhere, the Ten Commandments, you know, the big movie that's always on every so often. But we, sometimes we don't really think about what that would have been like for Moses to be there. Mo, li, Moses literally comes across a bush that is on fire and yet not being consumed. I have a fireplace. It is a wonderful source of heat. When I put wood in, it burns up. And then I got to put more wood in. And then I got to beg my sons to go get wood so I can put more wood in. And, you know, that's a, a chore in and of itself. But I wish that I had had wood that just kind of burned all the time and wasn't consumed. That would be super efficient. But that's not the reality. And yet Moses comes across this bush and it's on fire and yet it's not being consumed. Why? Because God is there. His presence is there in that moment, in that burning bush. And he begins to speak to Moses. And there's something very specific that is talked about in this passage as Moses gets to know who God is a little bit. It says when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at the burning bush. God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. And then God says this, do not come closer. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's holy ground because a holy God is there. Speaking to Moses. He, call, he cries out to him and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God, excuse me, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. First and foremost, we are talking about a holy God, a holy God that brings an awe and a reverence and a fear to the point where Moses hides his face because he knows who he's communicating with. This is the God that we're going to be talking about. When Moses is commanded by God to go and, and, and speak to Pharaoh and say, hey, let my people go. Moses says, hey, wait, when I talk to my people, when I talk to the Jews, when I talk to the Israelites and I tell them who it is that, is, that I'm coming and, and speaking on behalf of, who, do I, who am I supposed to say is sending me? And God gives Moses his most personal, intimate name. He says, God replied to Moses, he says, I am who I am. This is 
who you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. God says, look, you need to tell them that Jehovah God is sending you as the messenger, the eternal self-existent God. Nobody made God. God has always existed all the time. There is no beginning to God. There is no end to God. Interestingly enough, this is the same name that Jesus claims in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is Jesus is talking to the Jews. They're talking about they're talking about following their father Abraham, and, and Jesus is, is talking about how Abraham, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus makes this statement. It confuses them. They're like, hey, wait, you're not even 50 years old. How is it that you saw Abraham? And then Jesus makes this statement. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus in that moment says, I am almighty God. And they knew exactly what he was laying down because as soon as he said that, it says they picked up stones to throw at him because they, they recognized Jesus to be blaspheming when really Jesus is saying, I'm almighty God and you need to pay attention. And so we're gonna be looking at whom we serve tonight and that is almighty God. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are called to serve God. And him only do we serve. He is the one that should have complete sovereignty over our lives, every aspect of it. And so as we think about and as we focus in on God a little bit, I want us to look at Psalm 139. And one of the reasons why I want to look at Psalm 139 is because this passage of Scripture is one of those passages of Scripture where we actually see the theological meet the practical. So theology is the study of God. And we can get a lot of theology, we can get the theology that we need from Scripture, and there's different passages of Scripture that we study to understand who God is. But Psalm 139 is one of the best passages of Scripture to really understand who God is and some of His attributes. Because there are three key attributes of God that are described in Psalm 139. If you look at the first stanza, which is verses 1 through 6, we're going to be looking at the omniscience of God. And born out of that omniscience, David talks about two other attributes of God. In verses 7 through 12, we see the omnipresence of God. And then from 13 to 18, we see the omnipotence of God. And within that omnipotence of God, we see the sovereignty of God. This is the God that David worships. This is the God that David serves. This is the God whom we are to serve. And as we grasp a little bit more about who God is and what God is like, it helps us to reorient our lives. And as we look at 2022, we need to focus in on the God that we serve tonight. I'm going to read this particular passage in just a second, but I really love what A.W. Pink says about God's omniscience because in the very first stanza we see David talk about the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God. A.W. Pink says this, God knows everything. Everything possible, everything actual. All events, all creatures from the past, the present, and the future. 
He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven and in earth and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs. He never changes. He never overlooks anything. This is the God that we serve, a God who knows everything. And David looks at who God is, and he sees the the theology of God in his omniscience, but it begins to impact his practical everyday life. Look at what he says. Follow with me in the first first six verses. He says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it all, know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. I want us to think about this passage a little bit for a second. We can read those words and we can kind of see, okay, yeah, yeah, so God knows everything. But I want us to start trying to think about and flesh this out in our own lives. I want you to see how this works in David's life. You need to understand that, think through what David has gone through in his life. This is a young man who was a shepherd in his younger days. He, he had encountered wild, wild beasts and had to protect his father's sheep. Um, he was a young man that ended up fighting Goliath, and by the power of God and the working of God, he was able to take down the, the, the Philistines' great um, champion. And, and God used him to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Right? David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king while Saul was still the king because Saul disobeyed God. And God said, you know what? I'm removing you as king. And I'm going to set up somebody else. And then when Saul finds out, Saul hates David and Saul pursues David and David runs for his life. For years, David runs for his life. And David, uh, God time and time again delivers David out of one instance after another where his life is on the line. Finally, David becomes king. David constantly is in battle and in war with other nations around him as he establishes his kingdom. His son betrays him. He finds himself involved in sin. As David reflects on his life, what's he say? He says, God, you've searched me. You, you know me. The phrase search me is the phrase to spy out. What David is saying is, God, you know every intimate detail of my life. There's not one crevice or cranny or nook in my life that you don't know all about it. And he begins to kind of open that up a little bit. He goes, you know me, you understand me, you, you know me intimately. He says, look, when I sit down, you know, where, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. It doesn't matter if I'm coming or going, you know exactly what's going on in my life. He continues on. He says, you understand my thoughts from afar. Think about the thoughts that you have. Think about the thoughts that I have. The thoughts that betray us at times. The thoughts that come into our mind and we're like, why did I think that? 
the thought that comes and you're going, I know that this is a totally displeasing thought to God. Why am I thinking this? I know I shouldn't be thinking this and yet I'm, I'm struggling with this thought. Sometimes we judge people by their appearance and you're like, ah, you're thinking a certain way and then all of a sudden, boom, you realize, oh wow, what I was thinking was totally wrong. God knows those thoughts. Those doubts that you have, the fears that you have, the worries, the anxieties, the struggles that you have, God knows all about those. God knows every single one of them. He understands what it is that you're thinking and what you're going through. He says, you observe my travels and my rest, whether or not we're moving around, traveling for work or for, for, for uh, vacation or whatever, it doesn't matter where I'm going, God knows exactly where I'm going, where I've been. He knows that if I sit down and I rest and I put my feet up and I just want to relax, God knows exactly that I'm doing that and knows what I need when I, I'm, I'm in those times of rest. That was kind of a re reminder to me this past 10 days. My wife, a couple of different times, reminded me of the fact that God clearly knew that I needed to be put in a place where I had to stop and I couldn't go anywhere and that I had to get some rest. I didn't know I needed that. I would have just kept on going and doing my thing and burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, you know, doing the things that I do every day through the day and then going home and working on things until all hours of the night or whatever. And God knew that I couldn't handle that. And so God just kind of put the kibosh to all that and said, no, you're going to hunker down and you're not going to be able to spend time with family over the holidays or visit friends. This is what you're going to do. I didn't know that, but God knew that. And God even knew the rest that I needed. God knows the rest that you need. What else? God knows the words that we say before they're even on our tongue. He says, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know all about it. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This verse hit home to me quite forcefully today as I was engaged in a, in, in, in a uh, how am I going to word this, a heated discussion. There we go. There's my gentle way of saying it. And I said some things that after I was done saying it, I thought, hmm, I shouldn't have said that. And maybe if I was a bit more mindful of the fact that before words on my tongue, God already knows about it. Maybe if that was something that was in the forefront of my mind, I would have taken a step back and said, I better watch exactly what I need to say right now. Because God knows about it. And because God knows what I'm going to say, maybe I should pay attention to what it is that I'm going to say or what I want to say. Hey, I want to say this. Well, maybe that's not the thing I should be saying. Hey, this is the language that I want to use. Maybe I shouldn't use that. This is the way I'm going to talk about somebody. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Why? Because God knows about it. God knows I'm saying it. And even if nobody else knows, maybe I'm mumbling under my breath about something over here, God knows all about that. And really, I should be way more concerned about what God thinks about what I'm saying more than even what other people know or think what I'm saying. God knows every word on my tongue, knows all about it even before I say it. Now, what you'll find in this passage, and I do want to bring it up here now, I guess, is that 
normally, ordinarily, for many of us, we would look at those things, and yes, they are corrective, and yes, they should concern us, and yes, maybe they, they take us back and they say, mm, oh, I, I'm not comfortable with this. Interestingly enough, David doesn't find that as a discomfort. He actually finds this as a comfort. I want you to look at this. David is, loves the Lord. He strives to serve the Lord. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. We know that David was a sinful man at times. But he loved God. He was, a, he was described as a man after God's own heart. He desired to spend time with God, to worship God in the temple. He, he wanted to serve God. He wanted to to be faithful to, to the Lord. And in his understanding of what God knew about him, he found it such great comfort because he says this. He says, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. I want you to think about that for a second. Instead of taking a step back, and I think it is important to look at that and say, because God knows all this stuff, there, it, it should cause me to take a, a second thought here about what I say and what I think and how I act and where I go. But if I'm thinking about that on a regular basis, if I'm evaluating my life in light of what God knows, and in that realization that God knows everything, and that that is shaping the way I live, instead of it being a concern, it becomes a comfort. Why? Because you know what? As I understand what God knows, and that God knows all things, and that that's shaping the way I think, and the way I talk, and the way I act, and, the way, and where I go, and how I rest, then it brings a great comfort to me because then I realize, you know what? God's there. He's encircled me. His hand is on me. He protects me. This is why a lot of Christians, as we've walked through these last two years, have not been afraid of a pandemic that we find ourselves in. I'll be honest with you, this is where I wrestle a little bit with people that I know that have known the Lord for a long time and yet they seem to be living in fear. And my question is, don't you know that God knows all about this? Don't you know that whether or not you're staying home, hunkered down, like I, I was talking to somebody just the other day and they were talking to one of our church family members on the phone and, and, and they were honest enough to say, look, I, I, I've been kind of just staying home for the last year and a half, two years. Don't really go out. I'm kind of afraid of making somebody else sick or somebody making me sick or somebody making my family member sick. And I think, how big is your God if, if, if you're that concerned about all of that? If you're carrying that kind of a burden that you are at, at living in fear enough that you're going to sit home and you're barely going to go anywhere because you're afraid of what you might get or what you might not get or if you're going to be the cause of something. Take a step back and think, how big is my God? Is my God not big enough to handle that for me? Is my God not big enough to know whether or not I'm going to get ill or not or whether I'm going to get in a car accident or not? Whether, is, is God not in control of all this or, or, or isn't he? that I should really be that afraid to step outside my door because my God's not big enough to handle that when I walk out. You know what? David went through trials and tribulations that we cannot even grasp. 
I don't think too many of us have run for our lives for decades from a king that is dead set on assassinating us. I don't, I don't think anybody here, now I don't know all of us, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess that we all haven't been running for our lives because a government official is trying to kill us. I don't think that all of us have stood toe-to-toe to a, to, with a nine-foot-tall champion in battle from an opposing army and put our lives on the line to go to battle. I, I don't think anybody here has encountered that like David has. I don't think any of us have, have fled from a family member who has tried to kill us to, to take our position on the throne or in our you know, as the boss of our family or as, you know, the boss of our job or something. I don't, like, think about what David has gone through. David has encountered more tragedy and more trial than most of us could possibly fathom in our lives. And yet David comes back and says, you know what? When I think about God's omniscience, I think the fact that he's encircled me. His hand's been on me. He's protected me. He's guided me. He's led me. He's preserved me. He's been there all along the way. He's been there to comfort me. He says, this, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm a, unable to reach it. Paul, the apostle Paul in Romans 11, verses 33 through 36 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How untraceable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. To think about how vast and how amazing and how wondrous God is, we can't even fathom it. The thought of it is too wondrous for us. We just sit back in awe of an almighty God, an all-knowing God. Because God sees everything, and he knows everything. You know, because God sees everything, and he knows everything, and he's everywhere, he's, he, he, he's everywhere present all the time. David goes on, talks about the omnipresence of God. He says this in verses 7 through 12, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is nowhere, and he knows it. He says, If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave or Hades, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon... Or settle at the west, western limits. Or your Bible may say, if I take up the wings of the dawn and dwell at the ends of the seas, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. For if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light around me will be, will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. David says, you know what? There's nowhere I can go that flees from God's presence. I can't go anywhere where God is not already there. Now, there's two aspects of this. This can be very comforting to us or this can be very challenging to us. If I don't want God to run my life, then I can try to, in my humanity, think that I can escape God. Oftentimes, Scripture talks about the fact that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Oftentimes people do things wrong at nighttime in the dark 
Usually a thief doesn't break in and steal from a place in the broad daylight. They usually wait at nighttime because why? It's concealed. Oftentimes we try to do things in the dark. We try to conceal it from God. And David's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's darkness or not. There's nothing I can conceal from you, God. There's no place I can run that you're not there. There's nothing I can do that you don't know about. Now that can be very corrective for us. We can take a step back and say, hmm, wow, I gotta rethink what it is and what I do and where I go because God's always there. But it also can be very comforting because David says, you know, no matter where I go, God, you're right there with me. He says, your right hand will hold on to me. Even there you will lead me. Wherever you find yourself, if you want God to be the sovereign God of your life, to lead you and guide you, wherever you find yourself, God will lead you. He will guide you. There's no place where you are that God can't lead you, either out of or through. And sometimes we forget about that. We find ourselves in in the midst of a trial or a tribulation or a circumstance, and we're thinking, how is it that I'm going to get through this? How is it that I'm going to get out of this? And we forget God's already there in the moment with us, ready to guide us through it, ready to guide us out of it. And often, too often, we forget that we have an omnipresent God. Lastly, and again, I could spend a long time on this, but I'm just working our way through it. I want us to see the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God. In verses 13 through 18, it says this. He says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. The writer of this psalm reflects on the fact that he was made by God. That when he was in his mother's womb, the Lord was the one that was forming him. It's not just an act of science. It's not just a, a, a mere process of biology. One of the commentary writers that I was reading pointed out that though, that David wasn't thinking about the issue of abortion when he wrote this. But nonetheless, when we read this passage of scripture, it should inform us as believers about the issue of abortion. See, this passage of Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we have been formed by God, that we have an inherent dignity as human beings because God Almighty made us. That God actually said when he was talking to Noah that life is precious, and if somebody takes somebody's life, their life should be forfeit. The reason why God said that and had such a strong punishment for that is because God says, you know what, human life, it's valuable to me. Human life has inherent dignity because God formed each and every one of us. 
And so when we look at, say, an issue of abortion, you know what, I should have a biblical worldview based on Scripture. Why would I be opposed to abortion? The taking of a human life before they were born. Because God says, you know what, he was involved in the forming of a, that human being in the womb. Not only that, but it says that God has my days written for me. He says, all my days are written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. We joke around sometimes about how, you know, when somebody wants to serve in church or we meet somebody new, you know, it's like, hey, God loves you and we have a wonderful plan for your life. I love to say that because then it takes people back. What? But I want you to think about it for a second. God loves us and has a wonderful plan for us. Because every single one of our days, God has mapped out for us. He's got a plan for our lives, and his desire is that we follow that plan. Why? Because he formed us. He's given us life because he's almighty God. And his desire is that we would follow that plan that he's got for us. And David understands that it was God who made him, that God is sovereign over his life, his whole life should be under God's direction. And when he thinks about that, he thinks, how precious are your thoughts to me, God? How vast is their sum? Think about that. Think about how God is, you are on God's mind all the time. That God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die a cruel death, to rescue us from sin. That's how much God loves us. That when Jesus was hanging on the cross of Calvary, he was thinking about you and me and our desperate need of him as our Savior. David says, look, if I try to count the thoughts that you have for me, God, I, I couldn't count them. They'd be as numerous as the grains of sand in the sea. Why is this so important that we focus on this? Why is it that we come to, to grips a little bit with who God is, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. Well, David sums it up for us. His last two verses in this passage tell us what our response should be in light of all of this. And this is my encouragement for you, my challenge to you, my challenge to me in 2022 is that in light of who God is, I ask myself the question, or I ask God this question, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In light of who God is, am I willing to ask myself this question? God, will you search me and know my heart? If there's wickedness in my life, I want to confess it to you, God, because I want you to lead me in the way everlasting. What does that mean? Lead me in the way everlasting. It's not just, hey, I want to get saved so I can go to heaven someday. It's, God, I want to give my entire life to you. I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that you will have complete control over my entire life for the rest of my life. Every thought that I think, every attitude that I have, every place that I go, everything that I do, God, I want you to be honored and glorified in what I do. I want it to be bringing you honor and glory. I want you to be the center of it. It's not about me, it's about God. Am I willing to put 2022 as the year that, you know what, I'm totally sold out for God. Everything that I do, every place that I go, it's all God's. 
you happen to be here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this passage reveals something very important. And that is that you can't run from God, that every part of your life God knows intimately. And someday, one day, you will stand before a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God and will have to give an account for your life. Every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every sinful place that you've gone, and you will be held accountable to that. And as God is the righteous judge, sinners are judged and are sent to hell for all eternity. But you have the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross to save you from that sin so that you can be rescued from that so that one day when you stand before God and you give an account, you can say, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. I've trusted Jesus and his shed blood to make me right with you, God. Christ died on the cross for my sins so that I could enter your heaven. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are right with God. You are no longer held accountable for that sin. I encourage you to trust Jesus tonight.